Well, this morning, we are taking our next step into a study that we're calling Worship and Warfare. And let me, let me start with asking you a question. It has to do with just kind of wherever you find yourself at this point in your life, the setting that you're in. There's certain people in that setting. You're doing certain things. You had to do some things to get where you are, right? You spent yourself in certain ways. You pursued certain things. You took some risks throughout your life to get where you are. You made some decisions. You avoided some people along the way, and you welcomed some other people. You valued them, and you made room for them in your life. If I started to ask you to think, hey, what kind of things have I sacrificed in my life? To be where I am right now? What kind of things have been in your life that you didn't exactly enjoy them a whole lot, but you stayed with it? You endured. You remained diligent. Are you got any thoughts coming to mind about the storyline that's brought you to where you are? I want to make this point as we move through this series, because these can feel like abstract words that aren't attached to the realities of our lives. Worship, oh yeah, worship, yeah, that's a, there's a worship service, we do that on Sunday mornings, gather with the church, so it's over there, warfare, yeah, I kind of think there's something going on in Ukraine like that, I think, right now, uh, but can I, I tell you that you're here, and your storyline sounds and looks the way it does because of worship and warfare. These forces that are in you and around you have shaped The decisions that you've made, the values that you've had, the things that you didn't find valuable, the things you didn't make room for, right? How many of us recognize there's lots of stuff we just chose? Eh, not doing that. That's not, because it's not valuable, right? Well, one of the things we're going to learn today is worship is radically revaluing. I know I'm making that word up, but I needed a word in the English language didn't have it. Revaluing. When worship goes off, when it shows up on the scene, it revalues things. And we're going to learn as we move through this series, there's only supposed to be one object in the land of worship. We're not going to get to that this morning. But when worship shows up and goes off in our hearts, and as we said last week, it's going off in us all the time. Worship isn't missing. It's just misplaced. So worship revalues things. I want to build some thoughts out of this passage in Hebrews. We read it a few couple of weeks ago. Hebrews chapter 12. Let me start there in verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God, acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Now, when you get to the end of Hebrews chapter 12, remember we started the year looking at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12, learning that there's a race that's set before us. You and I are living a life that he, the Bible describes as a race set before us. And then we get to the end of the chapter here and some things have been navigated through in this race that we've been running. And, and this verse highlights 
something. And it models for us the ingredients of, of worship. Right? We learn that, that there's an object here. There's something taking place that, that is set before us to see. And, and it's described as we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. As opposed to, well, as opposed to a kingdom that can. As opposed to living your life in the midst of a kingdom that can get rocked and things can be destroyed in it and there's vulnerability for something that has great value to become crumbling down. As opposed to that kingdom, how about a kingdom where that can't happen? That ought to get all of our attention. How many of you guys have lived in the shaking of your lives? How many people have had your, your kingdom has been shaken? The stuff that you thought was never going to go away, has gone away. The things you thought would always remain healthy, would always be in good condition, they're not always. I mean, listen, why can the news stand up stuff every night and we pay attention to it? All they're doing is reporting fresh report on the shaking going on. They're shaking here. They're shaking there. Let's talk about economic shaking. We're going to bring in another. How about some weather shaking? And then the weather person comes over. All they're doing is just describing that you and I live in a kingdom that can be shaken. Here's a fresh update on somebody just got shot across town. Oh my gosh, I know somebody who lives in that neighborhood. I mean, some of you guys get texts from me when certain stuff happens in the news. I'm like, uh, hey, there's a tornado that just, I think just went through your backyard. I've texted some of you guys, hey, are you guys okay? Because we live in a world that can be shaken. And if you've lost loved ones, if, you, if you've gone through bankruptcy, if you've been through a divorce, if you've lost a child, you've tasted this world, can sh- it can be shaken. And then God comes along and says, what if I gave you a kingdom that can never be shaken? Well, that gets my attention because that would have some value to me, which is why this verse calls on us in a response. You see the value. How do you respond? Let us be grateful. Gratefulness. Something comes to me of great value. There's a, there's a response in me to that. This uh, is going to change my world. This is going to affect me. Oh. And then I start to think about all the ways that I could be protected from the vulnerabilities of this life and be given something that can never hurt, disappoint, wreck my life. Oh. Lord, thank you that such an existence is even available. So worship this super valuable thing that comes into our lives, and, and the Bible describes part of it as a kingdom. Remember, a kingdom is it's kind of a quick word for a product, if you will, that involves land and a king where he reigns. That's what, when you receive a kingdom, that's what you receive. It, but how many of you guys recognize it's more about the king than it is about the land? So when we worship, you know, we're not called to worship creation although creation is part of the kingdom of God, we're, we're called to worship the king, the one who is the ultimate in our lives. So there is this object of worship, and when that object gets before us and we see its value, we respond to it. And that's where I want to make sure this series lands. Worship is very much a response. Look what we're called to do. Let us, right, we've received the kingdom. Gratefulness is in our hearts because we see the value and good of it. Let us offer to God 
acceptable worship. So in this moment, a kingdom has come. Gratitude is in our hearts. But one more thing is being asked of us. Let us transfer to God worship. And and let us not just do it in any way we desire. Let us do it acceptably with reverence and awe. So immediately, everybody needs to get informed by this because we're Americans and we think my ideas is as good as anybody else's and it ought to be done the way I prefer. And the Bible comes along and says, let us offer acceptable worship, which just like there's a kingdom that can't be shaken advertises what? A kingdom that can. Offering acceptable worship advertises what? Unacceptable worship. And I want to say today, there is the possibility that our worship becomes unacceptable worship. Not because it's, it's some tribal ritual in the other part of the world, false gods are being worshipped, etc. That's unacceptable. But ours can be unacceptable because it doesn't make a big enough deal about God. It's a response that would be adequate for some friend of ours or some uncle who left us a lot of money. It's not adequate for the God of the universe who is to be valued above everything else, right? So so to catch that, I'll keep borrowing some John Piper vocabulary because John's just a rich user of the English language. In his book where he's talking about faith, which faith is what connects us to God. So I'm going to pull these vocabulary words into our category of worship. You saw this quote last week if you were with us. So where he says faith, I want to stick the word worship in there. Faith or worship happens in us, and when it does, it's a conscious event, and we are involved with it. I mean morally involved, not the way we are involved with a sneeze or a headache. It's something taking place in the mind and the will. The thinking of the mind and the inclining of the will are involved, right? This this is what acceptable worship sounds like. It's perceiving and approving or disapproving are part of the experience I'm talking about. Love for Christ, admiration, adoration, treasuring. Stephen, thank you for that song, Christ Our Treasure. What a helpful image we sang about already. Cherishing, delighting, satisfaction, thankfulness, revering. All these words are affectional. Sitting at the heart of worship is the heart. In vain do they worship me because their hearts are far from me, Jesus said we saw last week. So it's not enough for us to just be here in this room. It's not enough for us to acknowledge and use words. There is an affectional heart that is to bubble over. It's to be overflowing onto God with these kinds of words coming from our hearts. So today's episode in our series is worship is... A revaluing reaction. It is encountering something. I wrote this out in your outline. A revelatory encounter. And I use the word revelatory because you can have some kind of exchange that you think is with God, but it doesn't reveal anything. That's, that's not good. A revelatory encounter with God involves an awareness, a recognition, a realization that revolutionizes how we understand everything about our existence. It revalues things. The king 
and his kingdom show up. And when that happens, everything gets revalued. You understand, when you bring something of incredible value and set it amongst other things that previously were valuable to us, that thing revalues everything, doesn't it? You could have some trinket, some gadget, some material in your life that you hadn't been around anything else, so that thing is super, super valuable, but then you set something really valuable, set a block of gold in the midst of that thing, and all of a sudden, that thing's less valuable, isn't it? You need extreme value in order to figure out daily value in our lives. And see, that's where if worship of the king and his kingdom are missing, everything gets so easily out of place. I need extreme value. I need something that redefines what's important. What's going to be important to me this week? What's going to be valuable to me this week? What, what in my world do I think is really powerful? I mean, it's powerful, man. I'm impressed by that. When you let ultimate power show up, ultimate value show up, it changes everything else. You remember that episode where the disciples are in the boat with Jesus and the storm blows up and, and where's Jesus? He's in the back of the boat sleeping. These guys are fishermen, so the mere fact that they point out this storm, this, this is kind of like an epic story because they're used to being on the water. They're used to a little breeze blowing. They're used to some water blasting over the hull of the ship. But this got their attention. They think they're going to die. They think this storm has power over their lives. That's what they're convinced of. And they turn to Jesus, and Jesus is kind of like, what is wrong with you guys? Go on. You woke me up for this? Okay, really? And with a word, he just speaks to the storm. And all of a sudden, can you imagine this scene? I mean, you got spray going everywhere. You got guys yelling on this boat because they can't be heard because the wind is blowing so hard and this thing's about to tip over and it's rocking, rock. And Jesus, just with a word, all that stops instantly. And maybe you hear the lapping of a little bitty small wave against the bottom of the boat. How did they respond in that moment? It's an interesting thing you see. Well, they actually picked up their terror and fear from the storm and they put it on Jesus. It's like they went from being afraid of the storm to being afraid of him. It's like, who on earth are you? And you could just say that with a word and everything responds to you? Well, what they just got a lesson in was who to fear ultimately. Jesus didn't mind giving him that lesson. Ultimate value, ultimate power showed up in that moment. Before that, they thought the thing to be afraid of when you're out on the water like this is the storms that can come. Now, the thing to be afraid of is the one who has control even over that. Right, so when ultimate value shows up, it relocates things. I want to say it, it elicits and generates a compelling inner response. Something goes off genuinely on the inside of us when we encounter treasured value. And Jesus illustrated this. Matthew chapter 13 tells a story about this traveler in verse 44 and a merchant in verse 45. He says, the kingdom of heaven, which that could be kingdom of God, you know, don't just locate that in heaven somewhere. The kingdom of God, which is used 
throughout Scripture as well. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he covered it up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And this is an illustration. So some of us are going, wait, should is that like legal? Can you like do that? <laughs> all right, just... I imagine the scene is this big, neglected field you're wandering across, and he accidentally discovers something that looks like it's been buried here for decades, lifetimes, right? It's like, like you, you guys, South Louisiana, you're out fishing somewhere, and you discover some boat that's sunk. No one even knew it was there, but there's this incredible treasure, and it's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to go buy this land right here. Right? That's kind of what he does. Then Jesus illustrates the same thing again. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, same, same reaction, he went and sold all he had and bought it. Now, this is a reaction, isn't it? This is a guy doing life, paying attention to his own business that day, and he stumbles across a box buried in a field, and he opens it up and he finds treasure there. I just don't want, to, I don't want to take this apart too much. I just want to stare at a couple of things that are pretty compelling. When he finds this, something rises up in his heart. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he had. Why does this, why does this guy have joy? Why does, why does joy, it rises up in his heart. I mean, he's like in a different mood. He has a different outlook. He feels differently. What, what happened? Well, he began to think about this treasure. He opened it up. He looked at it. He recognized how valuable this treasure really was. And I imagine he began to think about his life. Huh. This could, this could buy a lot. What do you think he thought about? And here's a guy trying to pay his bills every week, wondering. Last month, they were going to come repossess something that he owned. He didn't know if he could feed one of his kids. That's what he was thinking about. But all of a sudden, I'm, I'm provided for. I, I never have to tell my child, no. I, I, I can meet every need that's here. And then, then those violent tax collectors and Romans who threaten his life chronically. This treasure means I'm protected. I could hire my own men, protect me, keep me from these guys taking advantage of me. That's never happening again in my world. And, and then pleasure. All the things that he's been not able to participate in, things that he's longed for in his life. And he starts dreaming, right? He's got a dream list just like you and I have. There's pleasures. I could, I could get this. I could get, I could get this for my wife. I could get this for my kids. Right? He begins to see value. There's gain inside this box. I have a better life coming to me because of what's inside this box. He begins to think how this treasure is going to change everything about his life. It's going to redefine everything. That's why there's joy in his life. This joy is a real experience, and. and I don't know, maybe, maybe we learned too much from monks and monasteries to think that, you know, if you're really serious about God, 
you have no interest in anything else. There's no other pleasure. I mean, your idea of pleasure is go away with your Bible, with nothing else, and just hang out with God. And that sounds really, really spiritual. That sounds like, yeah, was there a problem with that, Keith? Yeah, because that's not the world God created. When he put you in the world, when he made you uniquely you, when he gave you talents and interests and passions and pleasures. How many of you guys know pleasure didn't come from the fall or the devil? You do get that, right? There's a God who invented pleasure. He made things in us see things. Right? There's a reason why we're staring at a room and those of you who aren't colorblind can see in color. Not necessary. Not necessary. God made it that way. So that there'd be this vivid ability for us to see things in color and to see textures and different landscape and taste different things and experience different things in our lives. There's all kinds of pleasure available to us in this world that God created. The devil didn't invent pleasure. He stole it and perverted it. The reason why this guy stares at this box and he stares at his life and a smile comes upon his face as he begins to think, oh my gosh, I could do this and this. I've never been able to do this. I could now. See, this treasure is about to revolutionize his life. How do I get this treasure? I need, I need to sell everything. I'll sell everything. Right? Now this treasure has just reached into his reality and reached into his story. And he's about to make a radical decision here, right? He's going to sell everything he owns. His home, his land, his oxen, whatever he, tools he has to farm or whatever he does for a living. He's going he's gonna to sell all that. I'm not sure how he's going to convince his wife of this, but this is what he's about to do in his life. Why does he do that? Because he's convinced if he could have that treasure, he could have a better life than if he kept what he had. That's why he does this. Remember Tim Keller thought last week? He says, you know, the world is full of idols that we all see value in. He said, sacrifices must be made in order to procure the blessings of the good life and ward off disaster. Those are two simple phrases, right? When he looks at that box and he opens it and sees what's inside of it, he sees those things. He sees the good life and he sees an ability to ward off disaster. That's what he sees. See, worship is about finding that which is ultimate. That's why we're going to see in the future that God doesn't share worship with other things because worship is about finding that which is ultimate, that which has ultimate value, that which disrupts the value of everything else, right? This merchant who gets described here, I'm not sure what the, he's a merchant. He's a little different than the traveler. He's a merchant. This guy is in the business of finding stuff to sell, right? So he's always on, he's kind of part Indiana Jones, finding weird relics and things he can sell. Or he's one of those guys, like some of you guys here are car enthusiasts. You collect cars. Can you imagine? Or, or maybe some of you guys who trading cards where you've got Mickey Mantle's, you know, rookie season and Babe Ruth's and you've got this great collection and everybody knows you've got this great collection. And one day you find one card and you tell all your friends, I'm selling my whole collection to have this one card. That gets their attention. 
right? All the cars I've been, I've got a warehouse full of cars because I love cars. And, I've, and you know this guy's got this car and that car and this car. And he comes along and tells you, I'm, I'm selling them all. Why? To get this one. That's what this guy's doing. Does that get your attention? Does that make you think, oh my gosh, what on, how valuable is that pearl that you're trying to sell everything to have? Well, it's worth more than everything. See, worship is an ultimate thing. It's worth more than everything. The value of the object is worth more than everything, right? Worship, I'll put in your outline, worship is a treasuring, it's a valuing that's redefining, right? You see this in Paul's life and Philippians chapter 3, when he says it this way, whatever gain I had, that's a good word, gain. Gain gain of what? Just gain of a better life. Gain of something I've always longed for. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything. A few things? No, no, no. Everything is loss. Why, Paul? Because of the surpassing worth. The surpassing worth. Oh, please don't don't miss this. Christianity can turn into a lack of awareness of surpassing worth, but an expectation that you'll sell everything. What the guy crossing the field didn't discover was a box that he couldn't open. I don't know what's in here. I don't really know what this would do for me, but I'm going to sell everything. You know, sometimes that's what Christianity turns into. It turns into this, hey, high, high expectations that you're going to live this holy, holy life. You're going to separate yourself from all kinds of things. You're going to sell doing it that way. And you're going to do this thing over here. But you don't even know what's in the box. That doesn't work very well, does it? You have to know what's in the box is of surpassing value. It's worth more. It's worth more for what? Because see, I'm interested in provision and protection and pleasure. I'm interested in those things. Well, it'll touch every one of those categories, Keith. It will redefine every one of those categories. It will show up in the things that you treasure in this life. It's worth you selling everything for. See, when you start to get that feel a little bit, you start to get an idea. What, what, what's worship really supposed to look like? You know, in a weird way, some of you guys grew up with somebody like this. Some of you guys were this guy. You know, you're, a teen, you're in your late teen years or maybe you're in your early 20s. And you got a little friend group, you and the guys, do everything together. Until he, that good friend of yours, part of the pack, finds a girl. All of a sudden, you stop hearing from him. He's not going to the game. He's not available. It's been days, turned into weeks. You talk to your friends. Hey, you talk to so-and-so? No, I haven't heard from him. You neither. What happened? Sorry, guys. He found a better treasure. (laughs) He said, you know what? You guys, you're kind of like gain at this level. She's gain at like this level. There's a future. There's potential. There's pleasure. There's a lot here, right, that I value this. And I just counted you guys as lost. Sorry about that, guys. Some of you guys have done that, right? Some of you guys are medical students. You, you, you do something like that when you decide, I think I'm going to become a doctor. Really? Did you count the cost? 
you looked at how much it costs to be a doctor. Yeah, yeah. For the next foreseeable chunk of my life, I, I'm going to be absorbed in books. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have less friends. I'm going to have less time available. I'm going to spend energy cramming stuff into my head that I don't really know that I want to know all this, but I have to know it all. And it's going to be arduous, difficult. I'm going to fail at some of it. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to run up an enormous bill doing it. Why, why would you do that? Because I find value on the other side of it. So I'm going to say no to a whole lot of things. I'm going to count a lot of things like my free time and friendships and finances. I'm going to to count that as lost for the sake of something more valuable. See, that's, that's what treasuring looks like. It looks like being all in. It looks like being captured by something. Francis Chan wrote a book called Crazy Love. He says in it, I grew up believing God without having a clue what he's like. I call myself a Christian. I was pretty involved in church and tried to stay away from all the things the good Christians avoid. Drinking, drugs, sex, swearing. Christianity was simple. Fight your desires in order to please God. Whenever I failed, which was often, I'd walk around feeling guilty and distant from God. In hindsight... I don't think my church's teachings were incorrect, just incomplete. My view of God was narrow and small. That's the problem, isn't it? When your understanding of God is incomplete, too small, too narrow, we are too ignorant of what he's really like. We don't get what's in the box. You may not respond with joy to sell everything in order to have that because the value isn't high enough. That's not the man's story in Matthew chapter 13. I wrote a little line in your outline there. This traveler's life achievements his savings, his wealth, his security, his traditions, his familiar comforts were all being redefined and shifted because of an exceeding treasure. Remember, this is a guy who went to work every day and used those tools and owned that land because all those things held out a promise for a life to provide for him and give him some sense of living a life of safety and pleasure. And he took all of them in this moment and said, I'll sell them all. He transferred his confidence. He transferred his hope to another address. That's what worship looks like. Randy Alcorn wrote a book called The Treasure Principle. He says, from the moment of his discovery, speaking of this man crossing the field, the traveler's life changes The treasure, it captures his imagination, becomes the stuff of his dreams. It's his reference point, his new center of gravity. The traveler takes every new step with this treasure in mind. He experiences a radical paradigm shift. Is that what your relationship with Jesus sounds like? a new center, a radical paradigm shift, something that upsets the status quo. Is that your story? 
I mean, I can remember knowing things about Jesus. You understand, I'm not from another planet, and I'm not even from another culture. I'm, I'm from around here. I grew up from as early as I could remember knowing about God, knowing about Jesus Christ, seeing images on church walls about what Frank led us through, a remembrance of his body being broken and him being crucified. I, I knew these things. But I have to be honest with you. Was that my reference point? Was that my center of gravity? Did I do daily life out of this deep obsession with this God? I just didn't. And there's a reason why Jesus throws a parable out like this. Because the people in the audience are underreacting to who he is. And he's trying to clarify, you know, when, when the kingdom of God is seen and encountered, it, it, it's like this dude who finds something so valuable, he sells everything. He's obsessed with this thing. Everything else takes a backseat to it. That's what the kingdom is like. So I've got to ask a question because Jesus put it out that way. Is that what the kingdom's like for me? Does its value revolutionize everything about my life? Everything that I've looked to for hope and pleasure and confidence and, and a future? Does it come along and say, hey, open the box. I can do that better than those things can do that. Oh, I think that's true. I think I'll sell everything and have this. Is, is that my encounter with the Jesus of the Bible? It wasn't where I grew up. The Jesus I encountered, he, he was welcomed as an additional thought. He could join in with whatever I was doing and ever wanted to do. As a matter of fact, I had some ideas that I felt so strongly about. It, if it's his ideas were at odds with my ideas, we're going to go with mine. I'm not selling everything for him. I'm not even thinking about him very often. Listen, I was so aware of this. that When I actually, I got saved in 1979. I was a freshman in high school. And something went off in me that, that I, I found this new orb thinking every day, just thinking and, and engaging God was new and different for me than it ever had been. But I had some terrible habits that I brought with me from the land of lostness that I had come from. I could swear at the drop of a hat. Um, if some of you think I'm sarcastic now, you have no idea what it was like then. Uh, <laughs> And so I, I found myself at one moment, there were two things I did because I wanted something different in my life. But there were these habits that existed. I couldn't seem to stop them. So one day somebody gave me a, a, a key that had the name Jesus written on it. It was like a little thing you clip on. And I said, you know, I'm going to wear this to school every day. So that every time I look at it, my heart is reminded of who I belong to and, and, and what I'm living for. And so I, I needed that. I needed some help. But I didn't do it because anybody required me to do it. It went off in my, I want this. I want to be different. I want to grow. I don't want to sound like I once did. I wanted my life to be something different. I needed help from some friends. I, I could swear like a sailor and had to, had to invite them. Listen, if I, if I say this word, you can punch me. 
in my arm as hard as you can once. If I say this word, you can punch me twice. Uh, why? Because something went off inside of me that reoriented my world. I wanted something different. I had found a treasure. Nobody explained it to me this way, but that's what I had found. And we need to be careful that our, our world has misplaced the treasure. It's, it's kind of not real in many ways, right? I've got a long quote from John Piper I'm going to skip for you just because I know we're a little time short this morning. But please go back, get the notes. You can go online and read. It is extremely helpful. But let me look at this thought from Mr. Piper here. He says, if you feel no delight in the wealth of God's glory, right? We all want wealth. How many of us have seen God's glory is expensive? It's rich. Nor feel any longing to see and know God better, nor feel any sorrow that your longing and delight are so meager then you're not worshiping. The great hindrance to worship is not that we are pleasure-seeking people, but that we are willing to settle for such pitiful pleasures. I can't improve on this. You can tell this is a John Piper quote from quite a long time ago. He says, that's it, isn't it? Our desire for happiness is too weak. We have settled for a home, a family, a few friends, a job, a TV, a microwave, an Apple II. Anybody remember Apple IIs? <laughs> an occasional night out, a yearly vacation. We have accustomed ourselves to such small, unexciting, short-lived, inadequate pleasure that our capacity for joy has shriveled and therefore our worship has shriveled. Let me just remind us what I'm not trying to do. I'm not trying to stand up this series and say, hey, can you, can you look at your behavior and, and sort of upgrade your behavior? If your behavior is really all about this, can you just make it all about this? I mean, we're Christians for goodness sake. If you're really into this, can you stop being into that? Can you start being into this? Hey, can, can you put this stuff on? Hey, can you act like you found treasure? No. I don't want you to act like you found treasure. I want you to actually find the treasure. So that something goes off in your heart that says, ah, a lot of stuff's going to be different. Because you got to see, I'm obsessed with this stuff now. I'm obsessed with this, God. It's not an invitation for you just to put on some kind of external thing. Why don't you come to church more? Tell your sister you're sorry. Tell her you're sorry. All right, this, is, this is not how God pastors people. This is about discovering something that is really, really valuable. The guy opened that box and it glistened. You're not told what was in it, but maybe there's rubies and sapphires, diamonds, emeralds, gold.
you know, it can feel like in our modern lack of revelation of this God that we have opened the box to. And we saw red and yellow, green and white. But it was a box of Legos. I was traveling one day and I accidentally discovered in this field a box of Legos. So I took it out and I played with it for hours. I was late for an appointment. Did you sell everything to buy the field? No, it was, it was Legos. I mean, come on. I mean, they're, Legos are cool for a while, right? If you, got, if you brought me a box of Legos right now, I could play with them for a little while. But I could get quickly distracted from those Legos, couldn't I? How many of you guys have noticed that your children have given up Legos for Xbox in a second? See, herein lies the real problem, isn't it? Like we all got shades of yellow and red and green in our minds, but we're opening this box of Christ. And we look, I, I don't think we know what we have. And if you don't know what you have, it's really hard to sell everything and want that. So here's what I'm aware of. We live in a time that has terribly, powerfully darkened and turned the power of seeing down so low among us that we are struggling to see the treasure that Christ really is for us. Because if we could see it, we'd sell everything in a second. So if I'm here this morning, I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of cool with Jesus, but you know, maybe you discovered Legos and you'll play with them for a while and you'll even take them down off the shelf from time to time and they get your curiosity, but other stuff is so much cooler, so much louder, so much more capable of bringing you pleasure and provision. I wasn't going to look at this passage, but I'm going to set a record here. I haven't preached in 42 minutes in a very long time. But can you just look at one verse with me? Ephesians chapter 1. Because this is, this is the heart of our problem. So it's therefore what we want to ask God for some help with. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a group of believers just like us. First century. And he sees a need in them that captures his prayers for them. This should capture our prayers for one another. This should capture our prayers for this hour of the body of Christ on planet earth. Ephesians 1 verse 15. Paul says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you, in my prayers. Paul, what are you praying? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, the divine ability to see something, to not stare into a box and see Legos, the ability from God to see that you're looking at something. Can you begin to use the calculator accurately on what you're looking at? 
I'm praying that you would have eyes that could see that you'd become a treasure evaluator. That you know a good antique when you see it. And you won't be ignorant. And let something super valuable get exchanged in your life for something really cheap like Legos. Spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That you may know. Listen to this. You want any of this? What is the hope? You look in that box. Do you see hope? You discovered a box that's got hope in it. Ultimate hope. That from a kingdom that can't be shaken. Hope that can never be taken away from you. You see that in that box? The hope to which he's called you. The riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Immeasurable great. I don't even know where to begin. What you found in that box called Jesus is immeasurably powerful. Nothing else can compete with it. According to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named. I don't know what names come to mind for you that compete with this. That make you wonder. Right, you got your own world. You're trying to provide for your family. You've got some pleasures you'd like to have. But there's these other forces at work in your world. We're going to learn about them in the warfare part. And you and I feel them. They're human beings. They're spiritual forces. And they're behind what's shaking around us. This is just a fuller understanding of what it means to receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Well, why would What do you mean it cannot be shaken? Well, because this kingdom, the king, is above all other rule and authority. There's nobody over him. Nobody shakes this king. He does the shaking. And when you look into that box, that's what you see. Or do you? Do you see Legos in that box? See, to respond to this box, you gotta, you got to have some idea of what's in it. Christianity is not just some thing that we don't have to know anything about. And we're just going to be super, super committed to it. No, no, no. You, you can, by the way, be committed to your family's traditions that way. Because that's just what they do. And your aunt's going to frown on you if you don't go to church. You'll be able to tell her this morning you went to church, so she'll be happy. Is, is that what's forming what we're doing? Some external thing like that? Or as treasure and value worth more than anything else because it answers my longings for provision, protection, pleasure, gains. Paul didn't give up all that was gain in order to have a life that had no gains in it. He just found a better means of gains. It was Christ. This is what we're after in this series. A heart like what Paul is praying for that sees something that will make us sing different, 
respond to God different, engage God different, because I see treasure. Let's stand up together. Jesus, you are a king who sits on a throne. Well, that's real. That's not just some imagery intended to stir a thought. That's real. You have a kingdom where you reign completely. And you've invited us to join you in that kingdom. You told stories like there was this guy doing his life, minding his own business. And he discovered a treasure that was worth everything. And he parted with everything in joy to have it. The kingdom of God is like that. Lord, we open the box this morning. What do we see? Do we see hope that cannot be shaken? Do we see riches that the economy can't touch? Bankruptcy can't make go away? Do we see power that's greater than a diagnosis, than death that has invaded our world? Do we see your name above every other name so that we live with a confidence that every day of our life there's not a person in this world who can overcome what you have determined to do in our lives. And there's not a spiritual force in this world that can do that either. Oh, Lord, what did we find in this box? And how valuable is it in our pursuit of the good life? Lord, it seems to be something that takes us to the good life in a way that nothing else can. Nothing else can. I pray for each of us. I'm not looking for us to make some cheap decision. But I'm looking for us to be convinced of what's in that box. To be awakened. Lord, awaken us. God, would you awaken us? Paul had to pray for people like us that our eyes would be enlightened. The eyes of our heart would suddenly see something that was in the shadows. That was too far away from us. That was under the darkness of our land. Lord, would you enlighten our hearts? Because God, I know that if I could just see what's in that box, I'd sell more and more and more to have it. Because it holds my hope. It holds my riches, my dreams, my desires and delights. Listen, if you're here this morning, maybe God's just stirring something in you. You've been coming or listening. And can I just tell you at some point, maybe this morning, God is looking for you to make an ultimate decision. It's not going to feel like which shoes to put on or whether to buy that car or this one. It's an ultimate decision. What, and more importantly, who 
am I going to worship? Worship, delight in, treasure, value, revere. Who is going to be that? That's the decision ultimately that's got to get settled. And maybe you've not made that decision yet. If you're here this morning and your heart is saying, well, I'm, no, I'm convinced, man. I'm, I'm ready to make that decision. Well, have this conversation with God right now where you are from your heart. Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm convinced. You are the treasure my heart's been looking for. I've found a lot of paths. I've done a lot of things. I've tried a lot of people. Chosen a lot of jobs. Had a lot of money. I've pursued a lot of other things that I thought were gain. Somehow this morning, it just makes sense to me in my heart. You are the treasure that I'm longing for. Lord, whatever it means for me to sell everything, I think it just means my whole life, Lord. I just want to give it to you. I want everything about me to be about you. I want everything about my future, every ounce of hope, every pursuit of riches, every day of pleasure, every need of protection. Lord, I just, I just want all that to be about you. God, I don't know a lot. But I know enough to know I want you and I treasure you above everything else. So this morning, Lord, would you, would you come invade my life? Would you come fill my heart? Would you come be with me every day? Would you come remind me whether I got to wear some goofy little Jesus key or whatever I've got to do? Lord, I want my heart to more deeply love you and cherish you and know you and see the value of you every day of my life. Lord, begin today. Begin today, Lord, I'm asking you. Lord, for every one of us who could have received a letter from the Apostle Paul and he would have been so excited to hear that we were following Jesus and we had faith and he'd have wanted something more for us, more. He'd have wanted our hearts to be enlightened and to see even more. God, I want to see even more, Lord. I see so little. I'm staring at gems stones and precious metals and I've never even heard of them. I have no idea how valuable they are. Lord, help me in my ignorance to see who you are and who you would be to me that no one else can be. Lord, your value displaces every other value. Your worth of relating to makes everything else second. That's the heart of worship I'm after. Help me, Lord. Help us, Lord. Here in 2023, as we venture into this year, Lord, help us to see the God that we would worship above everything else. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I bless you guys. We'll see you next week. See you men over on the coast. If you guys are here and you're needing prayer this morning for anything at all, please come find one of our partners to come pray with this morning.